kiddos, I, I've, I've, I'm talking very differently today because you're here, and I hope that you can help me with some of these things. Um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and maybe adults, you can just let, give, the, give the kiddos a few seconds to uh, try to answer them. If they don't, then you have a go. But there's something we all live with, and it's called, it's a big word, it's called expectation. We all have a lot of expectations. Do any of your kids know what an expectation is? No. Do you know what color an expectation is? No? Okay. Well, yes, you do. I'm going to show you what expectation is in a kind of a backwards way, all right? So answer this question. Answer some of these questions for me, and then you'll see what it is. If you see dark clouds in the sky, kiddos, you expect that it's going to? Interesting. All the girls put their hands up, and the boys just answered the question. (laughs) Um, At a concert... You expect to hear? Noise. <laughs> no, you call it noise until you're about 15, then you call it music. <laughs> At the beach, you expect to? Surf, swim, if you like me, get burnt. If there is a donut with your name on it, you expect? To, to eat it. Eat it, yeah. Okay, so all of those things, you have an expectation. You see something or you hear something or you go somewhere and you have inside of you an expectation, something you look forward to, something you expect to happen. So an expectation is something that you really believe is going to, you believe in and you believe it's going to happen. And in this time of the year, we have wonderful expectations. Um, we have expectations of food and of family and uh, of presence and all kinds of things. Some of my weekly favorite expectations, one is Sunday. I expect to come to church on Sunday and I expect to see some of my favorite people in the world and I expect to worship God together, uh, sing together, and I expect to fellowship with them, uh, with, with you if you're a visitor with them. Just, that's like one of my great expectations is to come to church on Sunday uh, one of my expectations in the week is on Wednesday night to have community group when a whole bunch of people come to our house and they bring amazing food. I don't know how it is, but we seem to attract people that love food. And that's wonderful because we like food. And then they make amazing food. And then we worship together and we pray for each other and we share our stories from the week. Um, another expectation I have is Friday nights. Uh, our, our family's quite busy, and Friday nights we try as often as possible to plan to see each other and to be together and to sit together and to play games together and to eat food together. And I so look forward to those nights where we uh, are able to do that. And those are all wonderful expectations that I have. And you have, hopefully, a lot of wonderful expectations in your life. Can you think of some days in the year that are full of expectations? What are some special days in the year? Birthday. Christmas. Easter. 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 Father's Day. Nice. Mother's Day. Not to put not not to put too many thoughts in your head, but interesting that there's no Children's Day. Hey. No, you know. I'll tell you why that is. That's every other day of the year. <laughs> Any other days? Australia Day. Australia Day, nice. We don't do celebrations. We just do Indonesia. You do? 
Nice. And then, we, and then what do you do with them the rest of the year? <laughs> Discipline. Homework. Homework, homework, homework. <laughs> okay. All right. There's another special day that Paul and Kate had a few weeks ago, and that's a wedding day. And interestingly, and this is what I'm going to tell you about, is interestingly enough, Christmas has everything to do with weddings. Now, that doesn't seem like it because Jesus was, what, what, what happened at Christmas? Jesus was born, exactly. But it has everything to do with uh, marriage, and I'm going to tell you how now. Um, Paul says to us in the Bible, in a book called Ephesians, and you don't have to worry about turning there. I've got all the verses on the screen for you. Paul says, marriage is a great mystery, but I am saying that, is, that it is an illustration of how Christ and the church are one. So Paul is, is telling us that marriage is not just about a man and a woman being married together in this life. Marriage can be a wonderful thing in this life. Um, but Paul is saying it's, it's actually a sign of something else. Marriage is not the end. So, marriage is a sign. It's, it's something that we look at in this life that points to something that is beyond this life. And he's showing us something. That's what we're going to look at today. So right at the beginning, and you kids know this, I'm guessing, God made two people. What, was, what were their names? Adam and, Eve. Adam and Eve. He made Adam and Eve, and he made them in fellowship with him. And the three of them had great fellowship, and they had purpose and vision. And the, God gave them uh, the world, and he said, here's, your, here's this, this place. I want you to fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it, uh, lead it. Um, and then the serpent came to them and said, hey, God is holding out on you, and you could, you could be like God. In other words, you don't have to serve God. You could be in control of this thing, and you could be like God. And so they aimed, they made it their ambition to be like God, and they did what God told them not to do, and they brought what we call sin into the world. That's, what, that's all that sin is. All that sin is is not this like the terrible, evil, dark, horrible, gross stuff that everyone in the whole world goes, <gasps> that's wrong. Like something as big as murder or something like that. Like, yeah, you should not do that. Sin is anything, it could, and it's normally good things, that we try to make God in our lives, that we replace God with. So it could be, uh, it could be my job that my job I look for for satisfaction. It could be money that I look for security. If I just have enough money, then I'll be a happy person. It could be pleasure or comfort or control um, or myself. I'll just kind of make myself the center of the world, do what is right for me, and then life is going to be happy. And we replace God with normally good things, sometimes with bad things. And that's what's, what's sin. And so we have a world of people who try to live life without God or in place of God. So God can exist, but we don't need Him in this life, right? We get on without Him. Uh, and that's what sin is. So what God did is He made Himself a special people. And those special people, anyone know what they, they were called? You, you can go ahead. The, none of the kids have said, yeah? Israelites. The Israelites. They were called the Israelites. So someone, if you hear of a Jewish person, they're part of the Israelite nation, he made this special group of people and he said to, to them, um, he, he gave them a whole bunch of ways of how to live. And he said, the world can look at this special group of people 
see how they live and see that God exists, see that God is different, see their need for God, see what it looks like when people walk with God. And they didn't do a great job of that, and that's why Jesus had to come into the world and, uh, and rescue us, because they, again, they turned away from God. They made idols. They turned to good things and replaced God. But a lot of their customs or their um, rhythms or their traditions like you have birthday parties or Sunday roast or, I don't know, you, there's, there's things that your family would do again and again. A lot of those things are still pointers at what God was going to do through Jesus. And one of them is marriage. In the Jewish marriage, there's three steps, basically. I'm kind of simplifying it a little bit, but there's three steps or three stages. Step one is arrival, where you come and you pay a price. And what happens is the father of the groom and the groom, they come to uh, the bride's house, to her household with her dad and, and all of her people. And the father of the groom and the, and the groom, the guy, they come and they sit down and they negotiate a price, uh, a value that uh, they could enter an agreement, a covenant into marriage with this bride. And usually it's very high because the father would value his daughter greatly. And so it was usually a costly agreement. Uh, the father was going to be losing his beloved daughter to this household and they were going to be, um, the, he was going to get a great price for that. Um, when a price was agreed upon, the father would pour some wine into a cup and give it to his son, and his son would offer it to this bride. So, so the, there's no deal yet, but the son would offer it to the bride. If she took it, he would say, he would say this to her. He'd say, this, this cup is a covenant I offer you today. I will not drink of it again until I drink it in my father's household. He's basically saying, we're going to pay this great price for your life. I offer you my life in return. Will you accept it? If she took the cup from him and she drank it, she was saying, I accept it. I will marry you. I accept the life that you want to give. I accept that you'll be mine and I'll be yours. And an agreement was made. Well, here we have communion which is normally a bit of diluted juice and bread and some crackers for uh, gluten-free people because we cater for all folks. But the point of it is that, is that when Jesus did this, when Jesus gave this cup, He brought out a cup the night that He was going to be, the, the night he was going to be crucified. He, and He gave it to His disciples. And this is what he's, Jesus said to Him. He said, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. In other words, Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm going to pay a price for you, offer you my life, and will you belong to me? And his disciples would drink that cup and they'd be saying, I accept your life and I give you mine. And Jesus says at, at this, what we call communion, Jesus says at the supper, he says, do this often in remembrance of me. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember again and again and again that I have given you my life. I've paid a price for you. 
I want to uh, be yours and I want you to be mine. And so as Christians, we come here to remember that nothing saves us, not our good intentions, not our good works, not groveling in apologies. The only thing that rescues us, that saves us, is simply this, the price that Christ has paid on the cross. And we come to communion to remember that He has made a covenant. He has made a pledge. He has uh, written this contract. It's called a covenant because it can't be broken. A contract, you can tear it up and break it. A covenant, you cannot. And He says, I will never let go of you. You are mine if you belong to me. So Jesus told His disciples to do this often. This leads to the second part of the Jewish wedding. In the second part, He leaves. And what kind of, you know, I remember when I got engaged to Nas, I got down on my knee. We hadn't said I love you yet. I, I was very idealistic. And I was like, I'm never going to say I love you until we like engaged or something like. So I used every other English synonym for love that is possible because I was crazy madly in love with her. But I got down on my knee and I said, um, will you marry me? And uh, she looked at me. She then punched me and said, say it. I'm like, oh, will you marry me? And she, she was violent. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like, say you love me. That's all she went and, and said yes. But I didn't then go, okay, great. That's fantastic. Now I'm out of here. We stayed and we planned the whole thing. Jesus, in, in, this, in, this, um, in the Jewish wedding rites, in the ceremony, in, in, in the, in the build-up, now that they are betrothed, they are as good as married, Although they don't live together, they don't. We have ch children in the room, so you understand. Uh, and he leaves, and the bride, the groom says to his bride, he's betrothed. They belong together. They're in covenant together. He says, "I'm going away, but like you know, I'm not going to drink of this cup again until we drink of it in my father's household. I'm going away to prepare a place for you, basically. I'm going to make a home for you." And what would happen is the, the groom would go to his father's house and he'd literally build a place for him and his bride to come and live. And if he had brothers and that, they would just keep building on. This, this would just become like a, a commune of families and generations and just grow and grow and grow over time. So I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven, he said this to his disciples, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I'll come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. Jesus is saying to his disciples, we're in a covenant. If you've put your life in me, if you've put your faith in me, we're in a covenant. I know I'm going away, and I know that's super uncomfortable, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Now, what do you suppose the bride might ask? <laughs> there you go when are you coming back and what do you suppose the groom might say well what's that as soon as possible I'll tell you what he's going to say now uh, let me first tell you this when, he, when the betrothed leaves he would leave the bride usually with something of great value as kind of a guarantee that he's returning so maybe he'd give her a ring, maybe he'd give her lots of money, but he'd give her something that shows to her, hey, this is super meaningful to me, I'm giving it to you, 
you know I'm going to come back. All right, having this. So when Jesus ascended, he said, uh, uh, sorry, then Paul wrote to the Christians to explain our current position. And Paul says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised us and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so that, he would, uh, so that we would praise and glorify Him. So Paul says, this is how Jesus is gone, but He's given you the Holy Spirit. That is the valuable thing that Jesus has given you to be with you, to, prom- to keep His promise, to show you. The Spirit is with us. Of course Jesus is coming back. And He's our guarantee. So, step number three. So, step two was the departure. Step three is the return. Long-awaited for return. And as Jonah said, as soon as possible. Um, this is about them being together forever. And this is the third part of the wedding. So, the, the groom wants to get back to the bride, but he's got to build a house for her to bring her home to. And she might say, when are you coming back? And he might say, as soon as possible. But, uh, but this is what happened in the culture. He didn't know when he'd come back. And she didn't know when he'd come back. There was only one person in both families who knew when he was going to come back. Do you know who that person was? It was the groom's father. It was the groom's dad. He would decide when the groom was ready to go and fetch his bride. So the groom would go home and he'd make a house. And if he was like me, he'd be like, Dad, it's done. Please send me. I'm finished. And he's going, not today, son. What else can I do? I just don't think you're ready. I remember asking my dad for something when I was 17. He said, I don't think you're ready. It's like, of course I'm ready. It's like, no, I, I, I think you probably just have to grow up a little bit. And I was like, forget growing up. <laughs> As evidence that he was right. <laughs> so the son says, not, sorry, that's, not that Jesus is ever that like that. But the, the point is that the groom doesn't know, and he waits, and he waits, and he prepares, and he prepares, and one day the father comes to him, and he says, it's time, you can go fetch your bride. And then he would go back to the bride, often with others, and they would be blowing the shofar, or the, this like kind of ram's horn type of uh, thing, not, not as nice as Kenny G played this morning, but <laughs> this loud noise, and everyone would know, he's coming, he's coming. And they would tell the bride that, that she's coming. And there's lots of stories in the Bible about how to be ready for this. And there's one story about those who weren't ready, and so they weren't able to go because he came in the nighttime. And some were ready and some weren't. And those who were ready got to go and join the marriage feast, and those who weren't ready got left behind. And there's all these stories in Scripture. Jesus says to his disciples, No one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels or the sun but only the Father. Again and again and again, the Bible shows us that uh, this picture we have of marriage, at its best, is a sign pointing us to how God loves us. That Christ has paid a price for us. That Christ wants us to believe in Him, to say, I accept your life and I give you mine. To believe and to walk with His Holy Spirit who keeps us and holds us and walks with us while Christ prepares a place for us, and to expect His return. So, at Christmas, we remember that Jesus was born. He came to pay a great price for us, to rescue us from sin. 
This is very different. Do you know how Christianity is different to every other way of being saved? In every other form of religion, you have to do enough to be saved. You have to do enough good works. You have to pray enough. You have to give enough. You have to show up enough. In every other system of salvation, of getting right with God, you have to do something. Christianity is the only one that says you're saved by grace. It's the only thing in the world that says you're saved by grace. You're saved because of the price that was paid for you. And all you have to do, figuratively, is accept the cup, accept the gift that, of life that's been offered. Come into this, and it's not even this like bland contract. Come into this relationship with God. So Christmas, and I'm wrapping up just for your parents with kids, just so you know. So you can expect the King of Glory gave His life for you, sent His Spirit to keep you. He's preparing an eternal home for you and I. And He can't wait to bring you home. Ironically, I wonder if you can put up the last slide, uh, Brian, if you don't mind. This is the guy most of us are expecting, right? Yeah. And, and I hope, kids, I hope you get lots of presents. Depending on what uh, traditions you keep, you might put out some milk and cookies for Santa. Uh, I think Santa's got a problem. Maybe you don't want to put out too many milk and cookies. Um, you give me lots of presents, and I hope that you get blessed. I hope everyone in this room gets their socks knocked off with blessings. I, I hope you just are wonderfully, radically blessed. I hope you expect wonderful things this season and that your expectations are... Uh, it goes beyond your expectations. But ironically, who, who does Santa give gifts to? Kids. But particularly who? The good kids. You have to be good enough to get something. There's a king of glory who's coming back. And, and here's the thing. You have to be bad enough. You have to see that you need to be saved. You have to see that you need a rescuer. You have to see that you can't do this life by yourself. You have to see that God loves you and Christ has paid a price for you. In other words, you just have to see that there's someone who's crazy about you, loves you, wants to give his life to you and invite you to know him as the King of glory and to be with him forever in heaven. But the only people who know that are people who know they need that. The rest of us are just going to try and be good enough because that's when you get good things. The best thing comes when you see none of us are good enough. So he's come, Christ has come and offered up his life. He's gone to prepare a home. He's left us his spirit who keeps us until he returns. He's going to return to bring us to His eternal home. So what are you waiting up for this Christmas? What are you, what's your greatest expectation? I hope you have lots. I hope you have a thousand good expectations. But what's your greatest one? What's the thing you can hang all your hope on? Are you ready? Are you ready for Him? Are you expectant for Him? He's promised to come back. No one knows when. 
Have you received Jesus' offer of life? There's no threat there. There's just a beautiful invitation. It says, here's my life. I give it to you. Will you give me mine? Let us walk together. Let us know each other. Let us be together forever in God's glorious kingdom. If he doesn't return in this while you're alive, the Bible says that he will, for those who've passed away, that he will raise them back to life to live with him eternally. Have you made that decision? And if you have, are you a bride who can't wait to hear that he's on his way? Or have you got so busy with other things? And I know I was a lot like this. I remember thinking when I got married, Jesus, I do want you to come back. Just, could, just not now. Could you wait a while? And it's not, that, it's not that life has become any less sweet. If anything, over the years, life has become more sweet, more wonderful. But the thought of Him returning has become increasingly even more wonderful. And what kind of, what kind of bride? Sorry for you guys. It's a difficult analogy. It's just the one the Bible gives us get our heads around being in this illustration a bride all it's talking about is this deep and profound relationship that the only thing that helps us understand that is uh, a, a covenant